Good morning. I feel like we need to give a round of applause to David running around to the piano, guitar, <laughs> bulletins. He's, uh, he's incredible. So well, I'm really happy to be here. Um, my dad, Robert, is a pastor. I got to stay here, I think, with this microphone. My dad's the pastor at Christ Church PCA in Bloomington, and my wife Katie's with me here, and our daughter Nina, um, who is four months old now. And then we have two boys at home. They would have been running amok, so it was good we, we left them there with Grandma. Uh, Gideon's our oldest, and then Wesley. And uh, we're all, uh, my wife and I are very happy to be with you. Thank you for the warm welcome. Met some wonderful people. and. Uh, um, we really enjoy Champagne a lot. We like to come and visit, so it's a great place. Um, I wanted to start, too, just by uh, building up Pastor Luke um, and preaching through Leviticus. It, it, is that right? Did I, I listened to a little bit of one of his sermons from a week ago, and I was reminded of a book I read when I was in high school by John Stott called The Preacher's Portrait. And in that book, he talks about delivering the eggs and bacon. And a lot of pastors have hobby horses and things they really like a lot. But as a pastor, you're called to just deliver the eggs and bacon and preach through the Bible. And my dad has preached through the Bible multiple times in the 20 years he's been at Christ Church. I've sat through Leviticus a number of times. But I'm not seminary trained. I work at country. I'm uh, you know, a businessman right now. So I'm not going to do Leviticus. We're going to do Zechariah 3. Um, and really the hobby horse of the Bible is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And you're blessed to have a pastor that's going to point to Jesus in every text. So why don't you go ahead and turn to Zechariah chapter 3. I was going to bring my water up here because other than bringing good news, my goal is to not pass out with the, with the heat. But <laughs> if I pass out, just pour some water on me and... <laughs> All right, go ahead and turn to Zechariah 3, and we'll read the whole chapter. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua is standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity. I have taken your iniquity away from you, excuse me, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule by my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, 
I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Let's uh, go ahead and pray and invite God's presence. Father, we, we turn to you now and we look to you. Thank you so much that you love your church. Thank you for your incredible grace. And thank you that even when we're accused by the evil one, he's rebuked by you. Thank you for your love for your children. And I pray you would silence the accuser this morning, Satan, and that you would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would draw hearts to yourself. And we, we really have come to meet with you, not to hear me talk about the Bible, or Zechariah 3, or, or sing songs, but ultimately to meet with you, Jesus. And I pray for anyone that has not uh, been plucked from the fire, that you would do that this morning, that you would give us a heart to invite our neighbors under your fig tree in our community. And so bless this time, bless me, give me the right words to say that would encourage your people here in Champaign. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in the first verses that Joshua is um, kind of in this courtroom setting, and he's clothed in filthy garments. He's standing before the angel of the Lord, we see. And, you know, I, my dad taught me growing up, some people think the, the angel of the Lord is even potentially Jesus pre-incarnate. So, um, and I think there's freedom within the Bible to believe that. And so that's kind of what I picture is they're all standing in this room. I kind of picture a courtroom. And um, it's, it's almost like Job chapter 1. And, and as I was preparing, I, I felt like I was supposed to read through Job 1. And so I, I read that as well. And we see um, Job's not in that vision or in the, um, before the Lord. But Joshua is. And he's standing there. And to his right hand, we see Satan. And I think one of the original meanings of Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That is his role is to accuse and to attack. And so he says about um, Joshua, he's accusing him. We don't know exactly what he says, but I imagine he says something about the filthy garments that he's wearing. And it's interesting because it's true, right? We see that in verse 3 it says, now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Okay? And so Satan's saying things that are even true about him. And it's incredible this response that the, I think it's even, it makes pretty clear, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And we obviously we see Satan and we have the Holy Spirit. And Satan's role is to accuse and to attack and ultimately to destroy you, to destroy your family, to destroy your hope in Jesus, and to bring ruin. And we have the Holy Spirit on the other side who we invite to be with us. And His goal, the role of the Holy Spirit, is to bring life and bring redemption. And so we know we have filthy garments. We're accused. I know for me personally, growing up, I... You know, and I'm in Champagne, so I can be very personable with you guys because um, you're not going to judge me as much. But growing up, I, I really struggled with depression. 
And it was an oppression for me. And I didn't understand what exactly was going on. It was beyond me. And it would come and go. And I still, you know, wrestle with uh, some of this. But one time, I think I was in about sixth grade and was oppressed. I had just constant oppression, voices accusing me. And I felt like there was no hope. And I got to a point where I would just pray that God would just take my life. I didn't want to live in that condition and in that state. And one, one time I was finally at the end of my rope, just constantly. Every, if I wasn't sleeping, I was attacked constantly. I felt this weight. And I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I, you know, I'm embarrassed to share this, but I just don't even enjoy living. I have no joy in life. And... Um, he said, well, let me pray for you. And we went in his office, and he prayed for me. And I know we're Presbyterians, but God does move still and work in power. And I was totally, completely healed. I remember I just slid out of my seat, and it was like a weight was lifted. And I went to bed with the biggest smile on my face I think I had ever had. And I felt so much joy and felt so light in a way I never had. And so those are the kind of things Satan's doing. And I don't, I don't know all your stories. I've met a few of you. But I know Satan, if you believe, if you're a child, if you're a brand plucked from the fire, then he wants to bring destruction and ruin to you. And he'll use whatever means he can. Um, to illustrate it too, I, I uh, was, went to a private school up until ninth grade. And in 10th grade, I transferred to a public school and immediately got it into track and basketball and cross country. Um, and I was walking through the hallway as new. I was in, um, I think I was actually in 10th grade. And I had all my books. I just walked up the stairs. I was holding them like this. And two of the big football players, we had a really good football team at one state. They were seniors. Came over. It seems like something out of like Karate Kid or something just knocked all my books over. And I was so embarrassed in front of all the, the hallway was full. I felt powerless. I felt alone. And I had so much shame, I started picking up my books, feeling like, you know, there's nothing I could do. I was a little track runner. And there was a girl that was actually a year younger than me, Vanessa. And she came over and she started picking up my books with me and said, I'm so sorry that happened. I don't even remember exactly what she said. But as she did that, all these other kids came around me and they all started picking up my books and my papers and handing them to me. And it felt a lot like I had an advocate. I had someone standing up for me, and it changed my life. It impacted me to this day. And so that's how Jesus is. He is our advocate. He intercedes. The angel of the Lord says, I rebuke you. You cannot speak these things to my servant. Another uh, illustration from the Bible of this is the woman of the streets. And Jesus is invited over to a Pharisee's house. He goes in, and he's sitting there, and this woman of the streets comes in with this, I think the King James says this, alab alabaster box, so this perfume. And she comes in, and she starts crying at his feet, and weeping, and putting perfume, wiping her hair on his feet. And, and the Pharisees said, if, if he really you know, was God or something, he would know what manner of woman this is. And Jesus knew what manner of woman it is and stood up for her to the, to the Pharisees. And so, verses 8 and 9, I'll go ahead and read. It says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, 
for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And I love that there that he refers to my servant, which is, I read, I got study notes here, and I read that a servant was actually how it's referenced here is the same way it was referenced to Moses. It was, a, it was something of honor. It wasn't like, oh, my, my house servant. He wasn't speaking down. He's saying, my servant, this person of honor is going to come. This branch, it's symbolic. And we know that Jesus was the branch, right? Jesus was the branch that came into the world. And he was a, a brand, unlike Joshua, that was not plucked from the fire. And he was our advocate. He wasn't clothed in clean garments like we see, see happen here. He was stripped naked and put on a cross on our behalf. And that's why Joshua can have this, this freedom. And I was listening to uh, a pastor's sermon a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about the final hour of Jesus. And he's on the cross. And he says, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? And so we see Jesus... He does not have an advocate on the cross. He has no one coming to His rescue. No one standing up for Him. And He's left alone. And my wife and I were talking early this morning. Um, we were up getting ready for today. And we are talking about how Jesus, if you think about it, He, he who know, knew no sin became sin. So Jesus had never experienced sin, had never done anything wrong. And then He takes on the condemnation and the oppression and, and everything evil on himself on the cross. And he had never experienced that before. And I was thinking about just my own sins. I believe he's, he's died for me. I, I trust him. I think I'm a child of his. And just thinking about all the sins and things I'm so ashamed of. Like if you knew some of the things I've done, I would be so embarrassed. And I wouldn't be just sweating because of this heat. I'd be sweating just out of shame if you knew some of the things that I've done. And I know a lot of you are the same way. And then I think about Jesus who knew no sin, took all that and became that, and felt all the, the condemnation of that. He felt all the shame of that. And He's forsaken by God. His own, the only advocate there that could come to His rescue turns His face away and instead just brings His wrath and punishment on Jesus for our behalf, for Joshua's behalf even. And it's, it's such a blessing. So kind of the flip side of that, you know, if you think about it, I, was, I heard a, Tim Keller was talking one time about how in our DNA, we know sacrifice. It's, it's in our bodies. And the example he gives is um, you have white blood cells in your body right now. And if you were to get a cut, if you were to get some kind of infection, you would see pus coming out of that cut, right? I, Hope this isn't too graphic, but um, I preached to the kids and I used this one time and they're like, pus, you know. Um, but you would have pus come out. What pus is actually, and that's a gross word, it's dead white cells that have sacrificed themselves to fight the infection. And so even in our bodies, we have this, we know this sacrifice that in order for there to be life, there has to be death. Uh, another way I, I, I would illustrate it as my wife, Katie, and I have a very close friend. He's one of my best friends, Mike. And he actually went to U of I. 
and he's an engineer in, in Bloomington and one of my closest friends. And I first met him, he had a cast on his foot and he came in and I'd never seen someone so oppressed and just heavy. And so I meet him, I introduce myself, and as I get to know him, I found out, I met him in, um, I think October, that August his wife had passed away. He's a young guy, um, you know, and he has this little boy, Ethan, and his wife had passed away from uh, breast cancer. She was real young. Um, I had never met her, um, but Christina had passed away from breast cancer, and she was given the choice. They found out they were pregnant with their son, Ethan, and she had the choice. She could start chemo, abort the baby, and would have a very good chance of, of living, but she chose not to undergo chemo and surgeries and to wait, and she gave birth to a healthy boy, Ethan, and then when he was a few months old, she passed away from breast cancer. And I remember going down, we drove down to Mattoon where she's buried, and watching Mike bringing his son, Ethan, he was, a little, it was a, on her one year anniversary that she had died, and watching him weep over her, her tombstone. And she's really someone that has given her life so that Ethan could have life. She's sacrificed even before he has any recollection or memory, and he's gonna hear about this mom and this mother's love of someone who gave their life for, for her son. So, I wanna read verse eight again, it says, um, I'll send my servant the branch. And so Jesus, is a, he's that sacrifice. He's the one not plucked from the fire so that we could have life. And I like this, this last part, and I thought I'll close here. Um, verse 10, it says, And that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. And, and that's the challenge for us is, and that's why I titled it Burning Brands. We have the burning branch, Jesus, but there's so many people in our communities. We were, you know, we were at the, took our boys and, and daughter to the swim pool yesterday and we were walking in, there's all these fire trucks and all these people were flushing out. And I said, what's going on? Are they closed? They said, yeah, they asked us all to leave. Uh, this little girl had drowned. And we saw all the, all the paramedics and all the policemen around her uh, around her body and it's it would, we get in the car we turn off the music and remembered wow life is short you know just probably an hour before the dad was getting his daughter dressed in her bathing suit getting ready excited for a warm day at the pool and his life's changed forever my my brother lost his daughter when she was a few months old and i remember seeing him carry her casket by himself her little casket out and watched him just weeping and bury her with his other children. And so life is short and, and we don't know, there's, there's so much that's evil and wrong in the world and our neighbors need to know that there's a branch that was not plucked from the fire. They need to know that Jesus has hung on the cross and died and I remember when I was in college, we got married when I was 21, I'm 26 now, we got married very young and we had our first child when I was 22, Gideon, our oldest. And so to support our family while I was in school at ISU, I worked at State Farm, which um, their headquarters are in Bloomington. It's a large corporation. I did security. So I did all the access controls and, and walked with people. Um, but part of my job, I worked at night, would be to take the cleaners into um, these offices in different places and they would go in and clean, and I would just watch them work, which is kind of uncomfortable. 
But so I would just try to connect with them. I met so many interesting people, some from Congo, and the man I'm about to tell you about, the young man Haram, was Mexican. And he was second generation, so his parents were Mexican, don't speak English. And he went to a local high school. He's a young guy, I think he was maybe 18. And I really connected with Haram. I really enjoyed talking to him. We'd talk about football or soccer, as we call it. And I played in a league in town, and so we'd talk about different things. And finally, I, I led a small group in college, and, and uh, we were filling the place. All these college students, like maybe 30 students a week, we'd just pack into a little apartment. And God was showing up and delivering. I saw a lot of similar deliverances to the one I had. Um, and just, just an incredible time in college. But so I invited him to that group, and I invited him to church. And so he came. And this verse came to my mind as he's sitting right next to me. And I just start weeping as he's sitting by me. And I'm crying out to God. I'm turning my face so he can't see I'm crying to think I'm a weirdo. And I'm crying out, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Praying for him. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Believing in faith that he was elect and chosen by God in his favor. And so the service gets over. And I said, Haram, uh, is it right if I pray for you? And he goes, Sure. All right. That's fine. So we go and we sit down at the front of the church. And I said, well, what, what can I pray for you about? And he says, well, my dad beats my mom. And that's like the first thing he shares. I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, I'd love to pray for you on that. So I, I didn't really know what to pray. I put my hand on him and prayed, Lord, I, I pray that you would help Haram's family, that his mom would stop beating, uh, or that his dad would stop beating his mom, that you'd bless it bless their family, and I get done, and a couple weeks go by, he comes to church with me again, and I'm sitting by him crying again, praying for him, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And I say, hey, Haram, is right if I pray for you again? And he goes, yeah, why not? God answered your prayer last time. And I said, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Like, was there, did they get counseling? What have, I just couldn't believe it. And he said, no, my dad fell down and broke his arm and he can't beat my mom anymore. And I was like, wow. And so Haram's a good friend of mine. And, and so there's all these people that we have to be bold and we have to invite them to come in under the fig tree, which is Jesus Christ. And so um, I, get, I guess one last story and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. I thought I'd go short. I, um, you know, there's, I think it's pretty straightforward. And I even hope... None of you took notes because really my hope and prayer is that you'd be impacted by Jesus. I don't have any points or you know anything too fancy, but um, my hope and prayer was that you'd be impacted by the love of Jesus this morning and what he's done. And so um, I have a, one of my closest friends is, is crazy. His name's Joe Abrico. He's from Minnesota. Um, he went to Covenant Seminary. And we were friends with some people in Georgia. My dad had preached at a church down there. Um, the Hensons, Mike Henson, he's a doctor. They're in a good PCA church there. And Joab is from Minnesota. Their daughter, Rebecca, played basketball at Georgia University. Bulldogs, all the family went there. And they meet at Covenant because her older brother went there. And so Joab sees her. Joab's very tall, played basketball in college. And he, he sees Rebecca. And she's six foot one, which for a girl is is very tall. If you ever see a, you know, if you see a six foot one guy, you're kind of like, okay, you see a six foot one girl, it's like, wow, she is tall. Um, and so Joab's taller than her. And they, the first thing they did is they lined up their feet 
and he was taller than her. And they fell in love, they got married, they have four or five kids now. <laughs> I think they just had another one. But uh, Joab is, he loves the reformers, he loves the Puritans. And I had lived with him and his wife and their kids for a summer to minister with a ministry called The Torch where we're reaching out to Latino gangs. And what he does is he just drives around. He was a chaplain on the football team, led FCA. But he would just drive around and look for groups of people. And he was good at basketball if it was court or whatever. And he'd pull over and said, hey, let's go preach to him. And I'd be like, okay. So a lot of times I'd watch him. He'd get up on a basketball post and illustrate what Jesus did on the cross. You know, one time he gave me a bunch of cash. And he said, go buy them all water bottles. And we brought water bottles to him. And, um, but one time we went to his uh, in-laws are pretty wealthy and they, they're members of a country club. And so we went with their grandparents. And um, I think I had some bad fish or some sushi or something. I don't know. But I got sick the next morning. I was just sick all day, you know, over the toilet, just feeling terrible. And Joab comes down. He'd wake me up at, you know, 4.30 every morning to pray with him. And he comes down and he says, let's read about Whitfield, George Whitfield. So he would open up a book and just read Whitfield to me. And that was a big mistake because I was feeling sick, but we felt this burning desire that people have to know about Jesus. And so we drove around, went to a basketball court, and proclaimed the good news of, of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that um, example, but we, we really have to invite our neighbors. We have to invite the college students. I love this location that you're close to students. We have to invite them in under the fig tree, which is Jesus Christ. And um, so let's, let's go ahead and pray. And thank you so much for having me. Um, let's pray. Lord, we're, we're humbled by your love and your kindness and we're so thankful for what you've done on the cross Jesus that if we've believed in you that our sins are washed that we have clean garments and I pray Lord we would be the kind of people that would join in like Zachariah did and say put a clean turban on his head and that we'd be a, be a part of your work Jesus and thank you that it's your righteousness that saves us Thank you for your perfect life. Thank you that you've died for us. And I pray for incredible freedom in you, Jesus, for your people. Incredible lightness. That we be delivered from oppression, from the attacks of the accusers. I pray even now that you would silence him. And I pray, Lord, that as we close out here, that you would encourage your people here in Champaign. Bless them all. Lord, bless this church. Bless all souls. Bless Luke as he's on vacation. I pray you would continue to encourage him to do your work here. And uh, bless these people now. In Jesus' name, amen.